0: You're listening to the Homeschooling Families podcast by Teach Them Diligently. Welcome. Every week, we bring you simple answers to help your homeschool family thrive. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. Today's podcast is a uniquely important one, and I'm so glad you're joining us for it. Linda LaCour Hobart, the author of a full world history curriculum called The Mystery of History, is here today to talk about the history of Marxism how we're seeing it in our world today, and what that topic has to do with Christian home education. As a home-educating parent, one of the big battles you're facing is with the hidden enemy of Marxism, and it's imperative that we educate ourselves and prepare our children to discern truth from error. Linda's natural teaching style is a perfect fit to help us do just that. Before we start that conversation, I want to encourage you to check out our Homeschool Subjects email that comes out every Sunday night. It's totally free, and we believe that the 15 minutes or less that it will take you to read it over and check out the resources and links we share there will jumpstart your week and get you off on the right foot each time. Plus, once you sign up, you can share Homeschool Subjects with your friends using your unique referral link to earn more fun Homeschool swag beginning with just one referral. Go to homeschoolsubjects.com to learn more and sign up today. Again, go to homeschoolsubjects.com to sign up today. Today's podcast is sponsored by Alpha Omega Publications. Homeschooling empowers parents to give their children an individualized education like no other educational setup can provide. With AOP, you can teach your children in the way they learn best while keeping homeschooling fun and full of excitement as you discover new things each day. Choose from multiple curriculum options to fit your child's strengths, learning style, and needs. Go to AOP.com to learn more today. Again, that's AOP.com. Now, won't you join me in welcoming Linda Lacour Hobar to the podcast today? Today's episode is going to veer a little bit away from kind of the the very encouraging conversations that we normally have on here. But this is really, really important stuff. We are going to talk about an issue today that is so prevalent in our society, and we cannot turn a deaf ear to for the for the sake of our children, for the sake of generations to come. Um, and I'm so thankful to have Linda Hobart here with us this week to talk about the history of Marxism and why we should care. So, Linda, welcome to the the podcast. I am so glad to have you joining us again.
1: Thank you, Leslie. And like you said, today we're kind of each trading our hats in. You know, typically we really are a little lighter than this, you and I talking about homeschooling. But I obviously feel compelled as a historian to touch on this because of the incredible significance yeah. to our Christian families. But we're going to get to all that. So yes, thanks for having me.
0: You are very, very welcome. Um, I want to give you as much time as I can to really dive in and unpack this topic because it's it's a really big deal. We hear it you know, tossed around. We see all kinds of honestly, propaganda about it. And kind of mm-hmm. on both sides, you see all kinds of messaging coming and going, and it's hard to discern where the truth lies. So can you give us a little bit of information on kind of the history of Marxism, and then why we hear about it still today? And what's the significance to that at, for our Christian homeschool families who are, you know, not really, quote, in the system anymore? Why, why should we care?
1: Mhm. Well, generally speaking, let's just go back to the 1800s. So yes, let's stay historical. It was in the 1800s. That's when Karl Marx was tasked with writing the communist manifesto for those who don't know there was actually a group it was called the communist league and they're the ones who asked him to like put down on paper these ideas that had been tossed around europe so he wasn't the only one tossing around these ideas but he was the first one to really catalog it in the communist manifesto and honestly the world's never quite been the same so it was published in london because he was in exile, in 1848. Now, doing the math real quick, that was like 174 years ago. I confess I used a calculator for that. (laughs) The truth is, in a nutshell, though it was so long ago, Marxism and his theories. They are alive and well in our modern world. Evidence of it is really everywhere once you really become familiar with his theory, and we're going to define that today. But as far as it relating to the Christian family, well, the theme of this podcast, of course, is to support and encourage Christian families. But Marxism, at least when we properly define it, it is a threat against faith, against freedom, and against the family. Pure Marxism is very anti-family. And so when we're talking about having the right and the privilege to teach our children at home, um, you know, in, in literally to give them some of our values, our children, well, I'm here to say that any Marxist socialist government is going to be very much a threat against that. They would do anything to stop that. So we're going to find that experience so much more common than you know, countries where there's not a Marxist socialist government. And of course, the agenda continues to spread all over the world. So, yes, it's very relevant to us. And I just have to add this. I I know sometimes and some of your listeners are probably right now just struggling with the little things. Mm -hmm. And I so understand that I homeschooled for 17 years. And sometimes it's those little things. It's the spilled milk and it's the frustration with math that's really at the top of our list. And you might think, oh, what does Marxism have to do with that? Well, actually, I want parents to feel today when they hear this that, want to remind them this is why we're doing some of that little stuff that's yeah. so hard yeah. is we need to protect our families against this Marxist socialist agenda that would want to remove our children literally from our homes if they could mm-hmm. so there's that <laughs> yeah,
0: I, mean, I couldn't agree more and honestly I would have never imagined when I was a young mom even if honestly, five, six, seven years ago, I would have never imagined that we would be having a conversation about Marxism, that it would be so overtly pushed, so overtly talked about now, that it would become a topic of conversation that we as Christian parents absolutely need to engage in. And yet it's clearly here now. So for those of us who you know, are kind of dumbfounded by this, which is probably most of of the listeners here or don't know an awful lot about it. Do you have any resources or any printables, worksheets, anything like that, that you could point us to so that we could get kind of a a better idea of what we're dealing with? Um, And then I can always link those in the show notes or whatever.
1: Yes, I do have one printable available just because I realize some parents may want to sit back with middle schoolers or mm-hmm. high schoolers and like listen to this again and say, did we get those main points? Because I am going to outline the Communist Manifesto. I'm also going to going to contrast that to biblical principles. So uh, yes, there is a printable. It's just titled, What is Marxism? And Leslie, you can link it in the show notes. If for some reason someone gets lost, you can go to my website to find it. It's themysteryofhistory.com. If you go to workshops, We're listing it as if it's a workshop, but it's just that printable and it's free. So, and it's two page, there's, there's one page to fill in, but there's an answer key also because we realize, you know, yeah, there's an answer key with it.
0: So if a mom is listening to this with her children and really would the rest of this, what you're going to talk about actually be helpful for them to have printed that out before we go through it so that they can kind of follow along well that gives some more clarity should they push pause right now go download it and well, come back
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea and if not now because you're driving just yep. maybe do it later even as a review sheet so again as a way for a parent to make this a, a class exercise of sorts Excellent. either grab it now or grab it later yeah
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, then why don't you go on and start working through this information for us? And then I I can't promise I won't interrupt you, but I want to hear what you have to say. Um, And then, you know, kind of let's work this out together so that all of us can understand what this is, where it's coming from, what the worldview is, and why we need to engage in the conversation about this.
1: Yeah, let's dive in. So with no further ado... (laughs) I have six points to define Marxism, but I want you to know these aren't six points that Karl Marx came up with. These are just uh, this was my way of breaking down the Communist Manifesto. So you're not going to find these numbered in the Communist Manifesto, but I'm giving us numbers just for manageability. All right. So I'm going to start with number one. And it goes like this. Karl Marx, who really was a professed atheist, he believed that all conflict was rooted in an economic class struggle and that was between what he would call the proletariat that was the working class he would call them the poor proletariat and the bourgeoisie it is kind of a fun word to say bourgeoisie it's just <laughs> a fancy french word but it referred to the the elite the upper class so again differentiate proletariat versus bourgeoisie he just thought all of life was a struggle between the two so wow. this is kind of the conflict theory at its root Now, what's important to know, uh, this one distinction of the bourgeoisie, what, what he would say kind of separated them from the working class, was ownership hmm. because these were the people that literally owned businesses. They owned the factories, maybe they owned land. So they might've been homeowners. So ownership was a really important distinction between the bourgeoisie and the working class. I want you to remember that. As a matter of fact, Leslie, I did not plan this, but literally this morning, as I was going through emails before you and I got together, I came across an email that was just talking about the World Economic Forum which is a global elite group. And one of the first items on their agenda was this, you'll own nothing and be happy. Like they wrote that. Okay. That's part of their agenda is to eliminate ownership. That is this idea that we will create some type of utopia Hmm. if we just have no ownership. So anyway, remember that, but let's keep going. Number two, to settle conflict between the classes, what Karl Marx wanted was to, get run of the, one, excuse me, was to get rid of one of the two yes. classes. So pop quiz, Leslie, which class <laughs> do you think he wanted to eliminate, the proletariat or the bourgeoisie?
0: Well, based on your point there about the World Economic Forum, I would assume it was the bourgeoisie he wanted to get rid of.
1: Yes, absolutely. He wanted to eliminate it. Mm -hmm. Like literally, he thought that that was the key to making a better world. Now, we would also define that as the whole system of capitalism, but we'll come back to that. All right. So number three, to eliminate capitalism, which was his goal, Marx wanted to deprive the bourgeoisie of private property, of private industry, of private, really almost anything, private ownership Again, is one of the things that separated the bourgeoisie from the proletariat. So he wanted to eliminate their ownership. So let's go to number four. Stay with me. To take away private property, he had a plan. Um, (laughs) He encouraged the proletariat to revolt Hmm. and use force if necessary. And he even had a name for it. So he would nickname this the dictatorship of the proletariat. So he wanted to embolden the the working class, the poor, to literally go to war against the bourgeoisie because there was no other way to get that ownership eliminated.
0: Yeah. You follow me? Yes. Wow. And okay. and I would imagine that, I mean, there's like little specks of similarities that you've kind of seen over the last several years that are kind of floating through oh. as you're talking about that. Just things that I'm like, whoa, that kind of was a little a little close for comfort there.
1: Yeah, the destruction of property. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that in the last couple exactly. of years in many different forms. The the ruin of small businesses. Right. That's a whole other yeah. topic. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right, let me keep going for the sake of your listeners. So number five, according to Marx, once that proletariat achieved revolt, he believed, and this is so important, he believed that some transitional government would have to be put in place, kind of like temporarily, hmm. you know, like meanwhile, and guess what that was that was socialism he thought a socialist government would have to be a placeholder to move a society from capitalism to pure communism huh. so he thought oh well for a while if we're going to take everything away from everybody well for a while somebody's going to have to own something so that we have anything at all right. and he thought that should be a socialist government so that means that socialism when properly defined it is government owned means of production. Mm. He really saw it as this necessary stepping stone. It was meant to be temporary. We will come back to that. And point six last. So Marx believed that once socialism had done what he thought it could do, which would be to balance out the haves with the have-nots, right? okay, then which, by the way, was through forced redistribution of wealth. It wasn't going to be voluntary. Then he thought if we could just get that far, if we could just hammer through all that conflict, well, then we could have this classless, stateless, pure communism. He thought man would exist in this free association. That's what he called it. That was his word. This free association is what he was aiming for. That was his final goal. So that was his idea of utopia on earth was this classless stateless yeah. society and but it wasn't going to happen he thought until you violently shifted everything and reduced mankind to this one class society and of course there was going to you had to eliminate rewards or incentives nothing was based on merit at that point right cuz you're leveling the playing field it's this this sound of of equality. And I have to admit maybe maybe that sounds lofty to some, that part about utopia, yep. but something I've observed about today's marxists, they seem to never really in conversation get to this last point. You don't hear about this free association. They seem a bit more honed in on the process or the method. Wow. And as a matter of fact, one of Karl Marx's quotes that is worth I think remembering, so I'm going to give you this. He would say this. Let me um let me just take it here so I don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. He would say, the theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence. Ready? Yes. It's only, let's see, one, it's only four words. Abolition of private property. Wow. Abolition wow. of private property. That that was his summary. So he's not talking about the utopia even himself as like the end goal that man would be somehow happy Without classes, he's like, our main goal is to <laughs> abolish private right. property. So he was a little fixated on the process and the methodology. It's just interesting. And I was going to say, and you already mentioned it, this destruction of private property. If you look into history, China's Cultural Revolution mm-hmm. was all about that. When Mao Zedong set up communism, one of the one of the paths to that was to try to literally destroy what China had known in its rich heritage. You know, they'd been around for thousands of years was all sorts of tradition and history. And they would host these horrible sessions. They would call it a struggle session where they would punish the old people who were holding on literally to like old cultural pieces of China and just like humiliate them because they wanted to eliminate that. Right. Just that was that. And of course, again, we've seen this rioting in the last couple of years here, where a lot of property was destroyed. And not only is it Marxism just to the T, but it's designed to intimidate. It's designed to shake up the status quo, because that would be the goal of the Marxists is to eliminate what we know as is. Therefore, the more destruction, the better.
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's very, very interesting. And even the the, as you were noting with the way that it kind of came about in China, the devaluation of older generations and things that have been before and, and really just tearing down that respect that, that what naturally young people should give to old people. um, You know, it's just kind of, it's Mm -hmm. not a cultural thing. That just should be a human nature thing. You, you revere those who have gone before you and, and yet as a culture, through the schools, the universities, the, the dialogue in our land, we have truly not just torn down property, but we've torn down the reputation and and really the, the worldview of an entire several generations. Yes. As a matter of fact,
1: I don't know if you've heard of Pol Pot, but he was Cambodia's communist right. leader. And one of his crazy rules. He's probably one of the craziest of all the communist leaders, dictators, but like he would forbid people to use expressions having to do with like even your family status like mother or father oh. because he saw that as like elevating one role over another. I mean, he would have people locked up for that. So they were family members. They couldn't be mother or father. I mean, how insane is that? Like again, trying to level a playing field, by the way, he didn't last that long. His people did revolt against him, but that's another story. But yeah, Pol Pot, just a horrible example
0: Well, you of said, that. You In fact, that. he even
1: forbid, I believe it. Uh, no, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say just another thing that he uh, and some other communist leaders would forbid would be the wearing of eyeglasses. Huh. You know why? What? It was considered an intellectual step up. Oh my up.
0: goodness. Oh my yeah. goodness.
1: So level the playing field, you couldn't even wear glasses.
0: Well, and I wonder as you were talking about remote, you know, how crazy Pol Pot was, how, you know, outlandish he was, and yet he was removing terms of family and and that's kind of what we're doing here in the. US. We are removing you know we we can't call people they're birthing people they're you know it's insane <gasps> the insanity of the pronouns and and all of this stuff because we are just neutering everything and everybody down to the least common denominator and yet we are, much more accepting of that right now. And you just said that, you know, the guy who tried to do it in Cambodia was was totally crazy. So, you know, it seems to me like we need to actually call out what's happening now in the same way, because it's totally crazy.
1: It, It really is. I mean, that's just again, it's it's in our face. Yeah. You know, I used to joke around or I've heard other people say, you know, way back from the the era of the Red Scare, like, oh, it's all a communist plot. Well, that's not funny anymore. Right. Like it is all a communist plot. That really is part of it. Again, just literally neutering even uh, gender yeah. identity and, and, and tampering with that is just going against God's design of even, you know, mankind, humankind. So anyway, it is it, it, is, it is all tragic, it, And um, but it's real. It's very much alive and well, this threat against families. That's what we're talking about today. So, you know, a reminder to those of you choosing to teach at home, hold those little ones tight. Mm -hmm. And I don't have all the solutions here. I'm not a politician, but I just can give this history. So yeah, anyway,
0: well, and actually this kind of where we landed here is, is a really nice segue point to, you know, okay, we know we see what's happening. Now let's overlay that with a Christian worldview and the values that our families have. And, and What can you tell us about the relevance of this and how we can continue to instill in our children this worldview and what's so important and give them the tools to combat these ideologies as they get older?
1: Sure. I don't think it's that hard to come up with my next set of my next list, so to speak, (laughs) because I once again, I have six points to show you where most believers would say, like, where does Marxism go wrong? Mm-hmm. Why is that anti-biblical? And and while I came up with the six points of the Communist Manifesto, the next six points I'm giving you, these are not mine. This is God's right. word. So that's where I want to take your listeners. It's like, okay, what does God's word say? And let's contrast that to these ideas Marx came up with. And again, he definitely came out of an, a, a failing industrial revolution in London at the time. He watched that. there there may be moments where maybe he thought he had a good idea. It's just it did not flesh out because of what it was rooted in and how it was founded because it was so anti-family, anti-God. So, all right, let's go to the scripture. And I'm happy to say that that little printout that I recommend you get, it does have all this scripture written down so that, you know, if you're trying to take notes and I spit it out too fast, you can go back and get that. Great.
2: Okay, Leslie. Well, number one, again, we're just going to go to the scripture. Karl Marx, who was a professed atheist? didn't believe God existed. Now, just for your listeners who may not know Karl Marx's quick biography, he actually was raised Jewish, but then converted to atheism. You know why that's so significant? It's because since he at one time in his life had been Jewish, well, that was one reason why Hitler blamed the economy, uh, the poor economy of Germany on Jews. Wow. It's because he was blaming communists. And see, Hitler was a fascist, not a communist. Sometimes people mix that up. But anyway, that would be one of several reasons if he could lump the Jews together. Mm. It had to do with Karl Marx, who at one time was Jewish. But anyway, so here he is, a professed atheist. So if he doesn't believe that there's a God at all, then what does he put his hope in? Well, he puts it in the state, mm. alright, the powers of the state, and believes it truly worthy of praise. Because remember, he wants this socialism in place because something has to be in place if you're going to strip everybody of The means of production. But one thing he would say about those who held to faith, this is quite sad, but he would say, and I quote, the idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. It must be destroyed. So he doesn't just have a, you know, whatever, bad attitude toward faith, uh, those who hold to faith. He really thought that that whole idea of faith had to be just completely destroyed. But anyway, in contrast, you know, and your listeners know, the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the cover of the book, we all talk about this God who created the heavens and the earth, and he is completely, totally, fully worthy of our praise for being our creator and our redeemer. I mean, you yeah, know, let's just go on and on here. We could. But just real quick for those who just want a little scripture to hold on to, and again, this is in your notes, but Exodus 22 six. Psalm 1, Revelation 4.11, those are a few good ones. Okay, now number two, and we're going to contrast. So he believed the heart of man's problems was found in economics. The question is, does the Bible teach this? Hmm. Well, not entirely. Yes, 1 Timothy 6.10 certainly talks about greed. It would say that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not telling the whole story. The Bible just addresses Read, but the bible says when it comes to like well what is then the root of all evil well man is made in the image of god at genesis 126 but it was through the fall of adam and eve that we would inherit that sinful nature that genesis three twenty two to 23 and yeah part of that sinful nature is greed and selfishness yeah oh, it's fair anybody with a two-year-old knows you don't have to teach them how to be selfish um but that's not the root of all evil because it just runs so much deeper. Hmm. Anyway, so number three is, so he thought he could change, Karl Marx thought he could change man's sinful nature, wow. really. Now, he's not going to call it a sinful nature, but he's going to call it all grief. He thought he could change it by just manipulating the whole way the world's set up. Let's just manipulate society. That'll take care of it. So does the Bible affirm this whatsoever? No. 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 Because according to the Bible, man mm. cannot reconcile his own sin we can't change that nature we were born with we can't overcome sin by our good works not that we don't try sometimes that's one of the traps of legalism is exactly. trying right but ephesians 2 ephesians 2 8 and 9 reminds us that it's not of our works it's the grace of god so god sent jesus christ as a sacrifice the only one that was good and worthy to atone for our sin nature so there's redemption but it comes from Christ, right not what we're doing And, of course, that gospel truth is John 14, 6, Romans 5, 6, and 8, Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. All right, a couple more points here, though. Number four, Karl Marx believed he could relieve the problems of the poor by forcefully restructuring society. Hmm. There's a question. Does the Bible support this? Well, actually, it does not. Now, the Bible addresses heavily the needs of that are out there in society. There's a couple of ways. First of all, like in Mark twelve, seventeen, Jesus encouraged the payment of taxes, actually. Not that we all want to hear that, right. but he did encourage <laughs> the payment of taxes to one government because it was set up to help meet the needs of its citizens. Second, Deuteronomy fifteen eleven and Matthew twenty-six eleven both teach actually the poor will always be with us. That is part of living in our fallen world. And members of society, well, we ought to care. We should care for those needs. So the Bible winds up dealing with the heart of man where grief springs from and does promote sharing with the poor. It's not that capitalism was ever designed to set up a blind eye to those things. No, not at all. Um, But the Bible doesn't teach that the poor are going to be better off by eliminating the rich. And that's really what Karl Marx was saying. Well, let's just get rid of the rich, and then everybody will be happy. Actually, counterproductive. But anyway, I will just say a couple things. When it does come to caring for the marginalized, which we ought to be doing, the church certainly ought to be top of the list um, caring for those needs. But we could see Psalm forty-one, one, Proverbs fourteen, twenty-one, uh, Proverbs twenty-nine, seven, Acts six, one to four, and Galatians two, ten. Hmm. Again, I know I'm spitting a lot of that out fast, but. There, there
0: all those verses I was going to say know. those are all on you with me Leslie yeah yeah and those verses are all on that worksheet right so that the families could go back they can actually pull on these threads go a little bit deeper if they want to because you've actually given them all those references right yes perfect yes. perfect all right you may you may sure, proceed sure. then <laughs>
2: okay number five so Karl Marx wanted to remove he wanted to remove financial incentive mm. for achievement Wow. And he himself personally really modeled a poor work ethic. So he wanted to eliminate a merit system. Now, there's so much wrong with that. For one, anybody who enjoys having a cell phone, well, if you want to eliminate capitalism, you're not going to have a good cell phone. Because if there's no competition, then one guy's not trying to do better than right. the next guy. And we all wind up with poor quality stuff. But that's here nor or there. Let's just go on. Does the Bible agree with diminishing a work ethic? Hmm. You know, the Bible will teach in Luke 10, 7, and 2 Thessalonians three ten, and 1 Timothy 5, 8, that a worker is worthy of his wages. The Bible actually does teach merit. Mm. And in fact, should work if they're able and to provide for the needs of his household. So the Bible encourages work. You know, what's kind of interesting about work, and it's not that we all, like, love work. Work is hard. That's why it's called work. Mm. But you realize it existed before the fall of man. So God considered work good. Because Adam had a couple things to do in the garden before he and Eve fell. He had to name all the animals and he had to tend a garden. Technically work. works. Exactly. Anyway, I always think that's interesting. Oh, absolutely. And just last, yeah. And, you know, naming those animals, I, yeah, I know that's kind of a, an odd one, but think about it. That was a new small thing. That's amazing. But anyway, <laughs> last, probably, yeah, I know, that's a little thing. Something think our kids could kind of play with that idea. Um, Karl Marx did believe that a society, that a perfect society could be made here on earth. Hmm. Remember he had this utopia in mind and you have to ask, well, what does the Bible have to say about making utopia on earth? Well, Karl Marx isn't the only person that's tried. There've actually been several, even several religious leaders who've tried to make heaven on earth. Some of them are cultic, right? They had, these ideas but the bible addresses this and really revelation teaches in 21 1 through 5 that the lord alone in his time he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth so yes we are promised some redemption and there'll be no more curse there there'll be no more crying day of rejoicing something we really can't even fathom In fact it says that the nations will be healed which always gets to me as a historian this like there's healing of the nations. Mm-hmm. Revelation promises this. But anyway, it is clear, though, that man isn't going to have much to do with this. Yeah, This is going to be God's doing mm-hmm. to bring this new heaven and new earth when we don't know. Right. We don't know. Well, so anyway, I'll just say, I guess in summary, these principles that are the communist manifesto, they really don't have biblical truth attached to them. There's not biblical principle here. There's not biblical merit. So there's a host of issues. I realize I'm just kind of scratching the surface here. And I'll add, Leslie, it's hard not, I think, sometimes to straddle faith and fear. I mean, you know, many of us, we have faith. We know God's goodness and sovereignty in the end. We know how this ends. But in meanwhile, we live in a world can be terrifying at times. And there can be fear. But I just hope for myself and your listeners that it's a healthy fear, yeah. the healthy fear of um, how how am I doing for the here and now? Like, am I living a holy life? Am I applying uh what God's Word says to my own life? Am I being obedient? Am I sharing Christ? Mm. Because we don't know the time and the manner. So anyway, it, all that. We need that fear just to inspire us the holy living because it is going to get worse before it gets better. Right. So, I don't know how much of this we're ever going to undo. You know, every generation thinks, Oh, this is the worst it's ever been. <laughs> really, I don't know. We'll
0: go back to the first century, exactly. right? Jesus' own friend
2: by death of martyrdom.
0: So, yeah, yeah. anyway, well, sorry, I'm preaching. Here. No, 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 you're good, and actually. You noted in those last what six points or whatever that Marxism is not rooted in the Bible. It is not a biblical concept. And yet you see the deception and how so many people are buying into like coloring biblical principles and twisting them into Marxist ideas. And I'm seeing a lot of that, especially, um, you know, I see it from friends of my of my children in college or acquaintances of them where you know they they spout off all of this biblical stuff and they overlay it with these communist principles and I'm like this is such a deception and such a twisting um, and it really just underscores the need to have these conversations with our children and to really prepare them to to discern truth from error and to know history exactly if i am exactly yeah. it's so critically well, it was, important and and i guess that kind of leads into the next question has this ever worked is there a time in history where you can see marxist communism thought or communist thought truly ushering in this fantastic society where all are equal and all the utopian mumbo jumbo that they throw out has it ever actually happened that way not to my knowledge <laughs> but I'll view somebody else's statistics. So the
2: congressional record, Hmm. for example, would say that 135 million people have died just in the 20th century from world leaders who have tried to implement communism, which, again, let's back up socialism, Marxism. We could just about use all three of those expressions interchangeably because they all have the same goal, the same end goal. But you have to say, okay, well, what did they actually die of? Because, you know, it's not as if Joseph Stalin necessarily shot everybody with his own gun. But, um, you know, millions, well, thousands, hundreds of thousands died, for example, in the Russian Civil War, yeah. because when Vladimir Lenin ushered in communism, Marxism, it's not as if all well, Russia was gung ho about that. No, they fought a four year civil war over it. Hmm whether or not they would be communists. Non-communists lost that. That's why we had the the Reds win. That was following the Bolshevik Revolution. So, yeah, they fought over it. Um, let's go to Joseph Stalin, who would follow Vladimir Lenin. Oh, Leslie, under him, 34 to 49 million. Goodness sakes. Terrorist. All right, because he wanted to see Vladimir Lenin was only around a few years before he died. He died earlier than expected of a stroke. And so when Stalin stepped into his shoes, literally, he's like, OK, let me take what Lenin started. And I'm just going to and go. And so he was just in power a really long time. He didn't die until the middle of the Korean War. And so under him, there was famine. There was war. He locked up his dissidents. Um, they had a gulag system. That was their Russian. Uh, that was those concentration camps the soviet concentration camps and then the korean war would be fought over communism the war in vietnam was fought over communism in both cases it was the north fighting That's right. fascinating parallels and then i already mentioned uh, mao Zedong and the communist takeover of china where we are continuing to see the results of this society that is so squelched and um you know, that's another topic for another day, but yes. Then just to inform your listeners, because some people still um, might fall for the utopia part, you know what I'm saying? But we do have five nations today that I would say are stuck in socialism, that never quite made it to communism, even though if you look them up on Wikipedia, it might say, quote, they're communist, but they're really not. They're stuck in socialism because they still have a state. Do you know who the five are, or five communist no, who are they? nations today?
0: I would imagine... Okay, I'll just let Yeah, rattle yeah, rattle those off for us. Okay, I'm sure most people know a couple, but
2: China, number one, yep. Cuba. Okay. Then North Korea, Vietnam, because at the end, Vietnam was reunited, North and South, after the war in Vietnam, and then Laos, huh. the neighbor. Um, it's the neighbor of Cambodia. So, yes, those are technically the nations that are stuck in this Socialist state. Now, the USSR used to make that list, but that collapsed right. um, in 1991. Fascinating story of how that didn't last. In fact, oh, it, it collapsed after like 74 years. Like it didn't last much past the, the lifetime of a man. But anyway, um, so yeah, so those countries are stuck, and I'm not sure that those are countries that any of us who know freedom would aspire right. to be. Right. And um, we've seen the the lack of fruit out of those systems. We've seen the oppression. We've heard the cries. We've had the people literally escape Cuba. Yeah. And, you know, that is our closest communist neighbor. And it goes on from there.
0: So what do you say as we're kind of wrapping this up today? You know, this is, this is so much information to take in. And as, as you've kind of been talking, you've underscored the importance of actually knowing and understanding history That is that is such a big reason why it's so important to to really as a family and as you're educating your children to give them a solid foundation in history. Because we do not want to see we don't want to miss the signs of things that could be coming because there are a lot of similarities that you see. And we want to prepare our children for it. Give them a solid biblical worldview. I heard you talk about that a lot with giving us these scriptures to kind of combat these ideas within communism. So so what would kind of be your parting encouragement for parents as they are trying to, to take all of this stuff that we've gone over today? I think that our families would probably largely recognize the importance of it, but I don't want to leave them like, oh, what do I do now? So... Tell them, "Ah, what do they do now? What what would you say is kind of their battle plan to start preparing themselves and their children to stand no matter what comes down the pike? Mm,
2: Great question. Well, first of all, I would say that we need to look at all of history, I think, as a real ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. We've got to just picture yourself at the beach, you know, watching the beautiful waves and some of them come crashing in. And then they recede and they crash in, and they recede. But it's natural and it's God's design. And so I think we need to, again, take some of our fear and imagine the ebb and flow and that God is perfectly in control of this. It's that very crashing of the waves. Sometimes that wakes us up. It that, that, that challenges us to live these holy lives that otherwise we might not want to live. You know, not easy to live a holy life. Hmm. It's hard to follow all the precepts in the Bible, but we're doing it because we have to sense Danger, right? right. So I guess I want to encourage people to use that harshness and the danger to inspire uh, not to be afraid, recognize the ebb and flow. And then there are some ways we can be prepared. I feel like physically one way we prepare for the future, whatever it holds, is just, uh, you know, storing away things. Right. Because we've seen rapes in supply chain. Well, have your canned goods set aside. That's just one yep. physical way. Uh, emotionally. Be prepared by studying world history. Like, emotionally, get yourself psyched in understanding that ebb and flow. And that's what you see. Because, again, every generation, every millennia has its challenges. Right. And then, uh, you know, look, look back at the, the Vietnam era, when I'm sure there are some Americans that thought it will never be worse than this. <laughs> when that whole, the war was going on, the the riots, the drug scene, there was just, it was not a good time in American history. And yet, there was reprieve pre you had uh, I think things had gone so far left and crazy and nearly anarchy to where we swung another direction. So sometimes the bad is so bad that society right. swing. Maybe we're headed toward a swing. I, I literally heard on the news today, get this real quick. Sorry, that's a uh, tangent. But I heard that Italy just elected a more right-minded uh, individual yes. to, I think, at their prime minister which is like a little uncanny considering that generally speaking, Europe has been uh, left leaning right, exactly. very socialist in mind or things like that. But, but it is literally, it's like they're self-correcting because those policies aren't working exactly. and the border problems not working. So anyways, they're swinging a little, right. Well, you know, they're a post um, church. Yes. Con- you know, uh, continent and we've patterned ourselves after them. So like, we may shift right again too. Mm-hmm. We may shift a little more conservative when we see complete failure on the left, but that's another thing. Where was I going? Okay. So I was saying there's three ways to prepare. So physically, you know, have your, have your goods tucked yeah. away for a bad day. Emotionally, no history. And then spiritually is knowing God's word, right. truly knowing God's word, holding fast to it as the, the refuge that it is, because that is where we take our fears and our concerns. And um, anyway, it's spiritually. Yep. So th- those are my three things. Now, beyond that, I have resources. Well,
0: and by <laughs> all means. That I can write. Yeah, for sure. Tell us where we can find those resources. You know, those who listen to the program know that our family is a is a huge fan of your resource. We've used them for years, pretty much since the beginning of our homeschooling journey. So um, tell us where we can find those and I'll make sure I link to everything. But I want to make sure we we say it out loud, too, because that makes it easier for people to to remember. Yeah. Well, first of all, I do just for families that want to explore
2: more on the dangers, the threat of socialism. I have a couple of workshops and they're similar, but different titles. For example, I have the dark side of socialism. You'll also find that as the threat of socialism. I have that as MP3, which is audio only. I also have an MP4, which includes video, which I think is very interesting to see the slide. Yeah. So it's like a tour through history. So that would be something to grab maybe for your middle schoolers or high schoolers. Again, just elaborating on all that I said today. Then I do have four volumes of world history. If your listeners aren't familiar with the mystery of history. It starts in ancient time. So our volumes are ancient, medieval, renaissance, reformation, and modern. Now it is our final volume, modern history, that teaches so much of those isms yes. that I want your high schoolers to know because that is totalitarianism and socialism and communism and Marxism and Nazism and fascism. Like those isms need to be understood. So that's found in modern history. And then beyond that, I actually have some self-paced classes. I have standalone lectures on demand. So if you have students wanting to dive even deeper than what our student readers hold, Mm -hmm. though our student readers hold a lot, I do have those classes available. And they can find all those resources at themysteryofhistory.com.
0: All right. Well, we will be sure to link to themysteryofhistory.com and all of those other places. Linda, thank you so much for spending the time to, to really work this somewhat complicated convoluted idea that we're all being just kind of pummeled with right now. I think this has been really really helpful and and I trust that it's been encouraging to families to see that that scripture does not support this. That there there that we've got to be able to to discern the truth of scripture and separate it from this deceptive ideology that tries to wrap itself in you know, a, a do good type lingo when it's actually leading down a very, very bad path. Mm-hmm. The things we would trade in for some of what is offered, yeah. that is literally
2: what deception is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To lose freedom to support some of these ideas uh, is a tragedy. It really is. It's a threat. It's real. It is. Oh, we do have our faith. So thank you for
0: reminding us. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. Linda, again, thank you for joining me today. It has, as always, been a great pleasure Thanks, Leslie. Good to be with you and may the Lord bless and keep all your listeners. Well, thank you, everybody else. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I am absolutely sure that this has been a help and an encouragement. Um, And probably a little sobering, too. These are things that we have got to take seriously as families. We have got to prepare our children, especially those that are old enough to start understanding some of the messaging that they are seeing. We've got to give them a foundation biblically to stand against these worldly ungodly ideas and, and prepare them to be able to pass their faith on um, no matter what environment they end up raising their families in. So the time is now to do exactly what we have been called to do. And it's an exciting time to follow the Lord. So I hope that this has given you a lot to think about. Be sure if you haven't done it yet, download that worksheet, maybe go through this podcast again with that in hand. Spend some time diving into those scriptures that Linda gave out this would be great for family devotions just kind of discussing these things and talking about how they contrast with some of the things that they're hearing in the neighborhood on TV if you're if they're older and they're seeing social media posts how do how do those things compare with the truth the absolute truth of scripture so avail yourself of all of those things have a wonderful wonderful rest of your day and I look forward to talking to you again real soon for joining us today. We believe that every family is called to Teach Them Diligently, so we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events, and then throughout the year when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community. Check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.